Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. We're going to talk about something that Jesus himself didn't avoid discussing. Um, it goes by many names. Sheo, Peter, will know exactly what I'm talking um, Or in the New Testament, in the Greek, it's called Hades. Jesus himself used the word Gehenna to represent it. Um, a lot of people might know it as the Lake of Fire, but we all know, so it's, everyone's caught on now. I'm going to discuss a topic which is sort of a bit, people are a bit anxious about, which is hell. And people are uncomfortable with it because they fall within broadly two groups. People who think when we die, that's the end. There's no eternity. But the Bible's clear on that. It says, it is appointed unto man to die once and then the judgment. So that's not true. Um, and then secondly, even along sometimes within Christian circles, we're uncomfortable with the thought of hell. We're, we, we like to think, oh, only the bad sinners go to hell, or we don't like to talk about hell because it doesn't really agree with this premise or this thought we have of God as being sort of cuddly and harmless. But that's not what, really, what I want to do is spend a few minutes this morning to see what the Bible tells us about the truth of hell and how that relates to God's character. Because I was worshiped there, the worship group were doing a great job. Um, and the last song was reference holy when it was referring to God. Now, that is when we, in Revelations, it talks about the angels around the throne of God. And it actually says, um, I'll just read it from you. Um, it says, and they never stop saying day or night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So nowhere, there, nowhere else in the Bible, to my knowledge, does it give a statement describing God three times in a row. It doesn't say God is good, 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 even though he is. It doesn't say God is just, 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 even though he is. But above all those, it says God is holy, holy, holy. Now, what does that mean? Um, that means he's pure. It's in his substance. He can't be anything else. It's actually through to his core. If there's one word to describe who God is, it's holy. And then we have to reconcile that. What does that mean for us and eternity? Um, I always think of this example. If, if you were in a court and say, a drunk driver knocked into your son or daughter and that person was hurt, damages for the rest of their life. And we were in the court and you were sitting there for a punishment to be given to that person who was behaving recklessly. And the judge said, oh sure, they didn't die. Let, let the person off, it'll be okay. Now what would you say? Now even you and me who are evil, we would say, that's not fair. We would say to that judge, you're corrupt. You're unjust. And that's us saying that. So how much more for a holy God when, he's, when we're presented to him and the fact that we have sinned, we have fallen short from his glory. He can't deny himself to be who he is. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, because there's a great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, once said, if you make light of hell, you make light of the cross. So we're going to get into some deep aspects of what the Bible tells us about that place. But rest assured, there's good news at the end, okay? My first point about hell is the, the, the key that we have to understand is that we have to deal with the sickness of sin, okay? So a lot of people 
we sort of think that God sends us to hell, but that's not the case. Because if you're thinking you've got a sat-nav within you, as soon as we're born and we come to the age of, of accountability, that's our destination. Like, that's our default. Um, because we have to deal with this sickness, it says in the Bible that we are already dead in our transgressions. Because of sin, we're dead. Because, because of sin, we can't approach a holy God. So we're separated in that sense. And because God cannot deny himself, he has to, we have to reconcile ourselves to that thought. So it says in Romans 3.12, there is no one who does good, no, not one. So we have to really get that into us that that's what sends us to hell. As soon as we're, because of that sin that's in our heart, that's, that's where we're going. I, like, I, can't, I can't really sweeten that, that if you don't, if you don't know, have God, have Jesus as your own personal savior, that's where we're going. And it's not that God sent us there, that's just the way it is. Um, so everyone knows John 3.16 but they don't go much further than that, so let's read it. For God so loved the world, should be on the screen, brilliant, thank you, Ethan. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have ever, everlasting life. But let's go on. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He, who, he, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Okay? So it's not God ascending us there. It's just because of our sin, because of that choice, that's where we're going. That's where we're going already. And there's not one of us that's not guilty. Um, this, is, this is the point. Some people think, I'm not that much of a bad person. Like, there's worse people than me. But then we have to weigh ourselves up. When we have this on one side of the scale, a holy God, and then ourselves, how do we fall short? So let's start at the basics. Most of us know the Ten Commandments. Um, but it also says in James, whoever breaks one of these commandments is guilty of breaking them all. So has anyone, let's start with an easy one, has anyone ever lied? You're a liar. Okay, I'm a liar. Anyone ever coveted? I'm guilty. Anyone ever murdered? Okay, I just want to throw that one out there. Okay, but you see my point. As soon as you do it once, for a holy God that you tarred with that, you're a liar. And I'm guilty of that. I'll put up my hand. But then, let's go deeper. For a holy God, we have to go deeper. What about the law of love? So the Bible says, when Jesus was asked about which is the greatest commandments, he says, you shall love the, law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second of this is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, there is no other commandment greater than this. Now, who has put themselves first in opportunity when the time comes and forgot about their neighbor? Oh, I'll, a lot of some honest people out there. So we've fallen there. The law of love, we've fallen short there, there too. We've been selfish. We put ourselves first. So we fall there. I'm guilty. I'll, I'll put that up there. I'm guilty. But then there's other sins that we have to be wary of. There's the sins of omission. Now, this is one's a kicker. Um, that no one ever thinks about the things that you should have done, but you didn't. Anyone ever think of those ones? The times you walk past and you're like, ah, I'm not getting involved in that. Or, you know, there's things you know, if you think back, I should have done that, but I didn't. 
And that's a sin in the sides of God too. So there's sins of omission as well. And we're judged by the fact that some of us are given more opportunities. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And think of us in the West. Like, we've, we've so much. We have access to all the mod cons. We have hardly any persecution. And yet, we just... We give no respect to God and his teachings and what he feels and all, and all that we're exposed to. So in all those things, we're just guilty. And I'm guilty. And I'll put that out there. I'm guilty. This is not a judgment thing. I'm just a beggar showing other beggars where the food is. That's a great saying. But uh, yeah. So, and the thing is too, we've become so desensitized to our sin. Can anyone, I was thinking about this last night with the rugby on in the background. Um, and Adam will testify to this. He was playing guitar this morning. Whenever, can you think of the first time you did something, say that, let down your parents, or did something you said you'd never do? Can you, do you remember that pain you felt? That disappointment in your heart? You're just like, oh, I can't believe I did that. But then, once you do it once, the next time it doesn't feel just as bad, does it? It doesn't feel just as it was all right. You know what I mean? That's, and that, that's how sin, sin hardens our hearts, where we become accustomed to sin. But for God, it's not like that. God feels it the first, like the first time that he did it, when you felt that pain in your heart for doing it. That's, that's what God, that's how God feels it. But we only partially can see a clear reflection of that. So that's, we downplay our sin, but because we have a holy God, that doesn't, that doesn't work. That doesn't correlate. So we have to remember that we are already sick with sin. God doesn't send us to hell. It's like we're on a sinking ship. Think of the Titanic. If a lifeboat was coming, the, the boat's sinking, it's hit the iceberg. And then if the lifeboat comes, do you blame the lifeboat and say, I can't believe you're sending me into the water here? That's not the case. That's, that's silly. You would say that's stupid. But like, it's the same case. We are, because of our sins and what the reality of our situation, we cannot be with God. So we're sinking. And then God comes to us with a lifeboat. And then some people say, oh, I resent you, God. We, didn't, we deny it. And we say, I don't want anything to do with you. Even though he's offering us the salvation from that situation, we're sick and we need the great physician. Okay? So, second point. An eternal choice that it sits with us is we either either separated from God or not. So we've realized we're sinful, God is holy, we can't be with him in that, that situation. Those things don't match. So because of that, we have a situation where we're going to be separated from God. Um, so let's read in Second Thessalonians. It says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Um, okay. I'll put a quick question to the ladies here. Have you ever been pursued by a man who wanted to date you or whatever? Yeah? And he wouldn't say, take no for an answer. Yeah? A lot of men looking uncomfortable, looking at their feet. Yeah? Now, she gives him the old excuse and says, no, no, I just like you as a friend. He's not interested, okay? Um... What, but if that man loves her so much and says, I'm going to force you to love me. I'm going to force you to be with me. Now, what would you say? What would be, the, what, what would be your first reaction to that man? He's a weirdo. Yeah, exactly. 
But why would God force us to be with him? That's not the way love works. Love has to be reciprocal, okay? So God will not force you to spend eternity with him against your wishes. So we have to think of it that way, and that's what the separation. So God is crying out for us to choose him, but he's not going to force us, okay? So being separated from God is terrible. And like that is, let's see what Jesus says, okay? Jesus said, this is known, Ethan, this is known the slides. Uh, in Matthew 5, it says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It'd be better for you to lose part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Do not go and cut off parts of your bodies. Okay? This is, in Middle Eastern culture, this is hyperbole, where they over-exaggerate a point to, um, to, get, to get a point across to their, to their uh, listeners. So what Jesus was saying here, he was, he was trying to convey the fact that hell is so terrible that it would be better for you to, if something was offending or causing you to sin, to just to get rid of it completely, okay? There wasn't, in all the first, the, the first generation of the church, there wasn't people running around with no arms and stuff like that, so I just want to put that across, okay? Um, but he was, just putting a, he was just conveying the statement here that hell is a terrible place, okay? It is, and why is it so terrible? And when it refers to uh, hell, it says it's a place of torment. Now, it doesn't say torture, okay? And those are two different things. So torture is an external with someone's ex putting pain. So there's no wee devils running around, you know, with wee pitchforks, okay? So no one's, there's no external influence torturing. It's a torment. It's an internal process, okay? Because what hell is a separation from God this is what in the verse it says there, uh, everlasting structure and the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. We'd be separated from the presence of the Lord. And when you remove the common grace, right here on earth, we have common graces that God conveys to us. So there's good things that we have. Uh, Jesus said the rain falls and the just and the unjust alike on earth. So there's good things we receive here that God allows us to have. It doesn't have to, but he allows us. Think of family, friends, relationships, hopes, futures. That's all good things we all share. But when you go to hell, that's complete separation. Everything that good that comes from God is gone. Because he is not there. He's in heaven. So when you're in hell, you're tormented because there is nothing good. Absolutely nothing. No friendships, no future, no hope. And that's an internal thing. That's something you have to, you have to address within your own heart. So don't feel that God's doing anything to us. He's not, but it's the absence of God which makes hell so terrible, all right? Um, a few places which I've noted in the Bible when it talks about hell, it says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, this, is a, this is a good one. I can't believe it when I was read. So weeping, yes, there'll be, there'll be remorse. There'll be people who will feel sorry that they're there, but that's not the same as being repentant. So for example, I got caught going through bleary speeding. I'm test and that's that's me being honest, okay? Now, was I remorseful? Was I yes. I was remorseful, but was I repentant? Was I saying I, I hated the fact that I got caught? I'm, this has been recorded, I need to be careful. 
Um, but was I repentant? Probably not. I was angry that I got caught, okay? And there's going to be people like that. They'll find themselves in heaven, in, in hell, and they'll be like, they'll be so sorrowful. I can't, I can't believe I'm here, okay? But there'll also be people gnashing with gnashing of teeth. Now, it mentions gnashing of teeth a few times in the Bible. Um, when we read in the Gospels about the death of Stephen, Stephen was, uh, was preaching, and the people around that time heard and got were hostile to what he was saying, and they ended up killing him. When they heard the things that were saying, they said, it says, they gnashed their teeth at them, at him. And that means like grinding your teeth. And it's synonymous with, um, with anger, with hostility. Okay, so there's going to be people in hell who are, who are sorrowful at where they are, but they chose it. And there'll be people who will be angry. They'll be at shaking their fist at God and saying, how dare you send me here? Okay? In hell, I think, when you, if you're a believer here, when you get to heaven, I think there'll be people there who you didn't expect to see there, and there'll be people that aren't there that you expected to see there. Now, that's a thought. Um, let's, we're, we're, let's read where I see this from. It says, one of the most scary, if, if you're a believer here, this is a, one of the most fearful verses. Um, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. What is the will? God's word. Okay. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, says the Lord, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. So we have to be very careful and we have to always look at ourselves and always think about the sincerity of our faith. If there's someone who says the right things, okay, God doesn't care about saying the right things. He cares about our heart, okay? He cares about what's going on in our heart. So there's, there's an awful movement, which I've noticed and I'm sure a lot of you have noticed too, of sort of nominal Christianity, where they say the right things, but they have no love for the Word of God, okay? Just like it says here, does, does not do the will of my Father, so they have no care for the sanctity of life, the unborn, and other parts of the Scriptures which they find uncomfortable with modern sensibilities. They think, oh, that's out, fashion. that's out of fashion, you know what I mean? God doesn't mean that. Um, and there's, it says in the Bible, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, not, is the beginning of wisdom. So we, we can't pick and choose. If we give ourselves, if Jesus is our Savior and we love God, we don't pick and choose. What he loves, we love, and what he hates, we hate. Okay? I'm going far and brimstone here. But, um, yeah. Yeah, Okay. Um, the third point I want to make is that, okay, hell's terrible. It's because of our sin. God hasn't sent us there, but it's because it's our default position. It's our separation, which is terrible, because to be separated from God is to be separated from everything that's good. But also it is fair, okay? So when it's, it says in the Bible that um, when we get to heaven, there'll be, there'll be rewards for the good things we've done on this earth. So it'll be just, It'll be a brilliant for everyone, don't get me wrong, but there will be rewards for people who have done great things. 
for, the, for Jesus and his word. But also it says on the other side of the scale, hell will be terrible because of the absence of God. Not torture, it won't be torture, but it'll be just the absence of God, which is terrible in itself. But it mentions parts in the Bible where it suggests that punishment will be either more severe or not. It'll be terrible for everyone, but let's just read. So in Luke 10, verse 13, it says, Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed, performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. This is when Jesus sent his, his disciples out to preach in all these towns. Okay? But he says, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you and listens to me, whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So here it's discussing the fact that people have been given different opportunities, and if they deny it, then it sort of suggests that there'll be different punishments. It'll say it, so it said it'd be better for certain places in judgment than other places because of the opportunities that they've been given. Um, it also mentions in the Bible how if, some, if a person abandons themselves to sin, so says, I'm just going to sin as much as I can, then it says, it'll be, it says in Romans 2 that they're storing up wrath for themselves in the day of judgment. But also Matthew 18.5 says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but, who, but whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble to me, to me in sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So that's a warning to people who have, shall we say, influence, um, teachers, that they have a higher judgment if they lead other people to stumble. So false teachers and things like that, I would hate to be in a position that they are in because the Bible is very clear for it. You, they will be accountable for what they do. And at the same time, church, let's be accountable for the things we share, be that certain people. Let's, doctrine is important. That's all I'm going to say. Doctrine is important. Because um, so, we don't want to ever be put in that bucket where we've led someone else to stumble in their faith. Um, so so that, that's true. And we'll also be judged by uh, the light and the privilege that was given to us. So in Luke 12, it says, And the servant knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, was to receive a severe beating. But the one who did not and did, what, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. So it suggests there too that if two servants do something wrong, but one knew in full knowledge that he was doing something that's wrong, his punishment would be more severe. So all these passages sort of relate to degrees of punishment with hell, okay? Um, but you're probably thinking to me, Johnny, this is all parts taken from the Bible. Does, anyone, does Jesus actually talk about hell in earnest, just as a standalone part? And this is where we're going to get to a story um, where Jesus does just that. It's the parable, well, not a parable. That's, we'll discuss that in a second. The rich man and Lazarus should be on the screen. Excellent. Thank you, Ethan. Um, and I'm just going to read this. So um, a lot of people think this is a parable which Jesus told, but scholars believe that's not the case for a couple of reasons. First of all, a lot of the parables that Jesus did uh, speak 
as lessons. They didn't have, they were referred to as sower or they referred to widows. But in this story, he actually uses people's names, real people's names. So Lazarus, and he mentions Abraham. So a lot of people have come to the conclusion that he's actually talking about a real person in this and a real event, a real description of what hell was like um, in this, for this, this person. So I'm going to read just this quickly. Hopefully I'm not going over time. No, that's hopefully not. Um, so reading from, we're in Luke chapter 17 and verse, no, Luke 16 verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But then there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. Okay, a rich man. Notice the rich man's not given a name. Okay, uh, so it sort of depersonalizes him. But then we have uh, uh, Lazarus, who's, if you look at the definition, it means God helps, um, who was laid at his gate. Notice he just didn't arrive there. It says he was laid at his gate, which sort of suggests he was just dropped there. It's like no one cared for him, no one cared about him. They just sort of dumped him, he was a burden, so they just threw him at the rich man's gate. Um, moreover, the dogs licked his sores. So it, was that, so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, Abraham's side, essentially. And the rich man also died and was buried. So notice the rich man was buried, but it just says Lazarus died. So he probably died in just leather, but the rich man he was probably buried with all the rights and all the, he had mourners and all this. We're not told, but it suggests that he had a, a big funeral and so forth. He was a man of influence. Um, okay. And it says, the rich man then also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So Lazarus with him. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, hell is a spiritual place, so he doesn't necessarily have, his, have a body per se to burn, but he feels the pain and the torment which is going on in heaven, in, in hell. Um, okay, but then Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received the good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us, you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to there cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if, you do, if they do not hear the Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. Okay, so that's sober in account there. Um, and we learn a, a number of things. Um, it seems that the, the rich man never really changed. So when he got to hell, a lot of people think, is it harsh that we have eternal punishment for eternity? But, that's, but if we're still sinning, we're still in that sin when we go to hell, then the, the crimes are still being committed against God. So it suggests here that Lazarus didn't, um, the rich man didn't really change. Notice he says, Father Abraham, so he's appealing to the fact that he's a Jew. He's appealing to the fact that he has a relationship, you know, because of his family connections. 
with the seed of Abraham. So he's like, he's trying to be a wee bit sort of manipulative here. He's going, Father Abraham. Um, but also, he, he knows who Lazarus is. So it suggests he knew Lazarus was at his doorstep that whole time, and he just ignored him. So he, he knew him. And the fact that he still thinks Lazarus is below him and that his servant, he says, send Lazarus, send the dog's body, send that guy who's beneath me, send him to do all these things. But it just shows that the rich man hasn't changed. So it suggests that he's still in that sin. He's still suffering with that. Um, but also notice that he says, okay, I'm stuck here. S someone go and speak to my brothers. Now, I always think about that and, say, and thinking about what we've done before. What example did the rich man, the rich man, we don't know much about him, but we knew that he, he didn't need anything else. He, he had everything he needed. So it suggests, did he have any need for God? Probably not, given that he found himself in hell. Um, but at the same time, he's probably tormented in the fact that he's five brothers. And what example did he set to his five brothers? He's probably tormented by the fact that his brothers are probably going to live the same life, the same standard that he set, and that they were destined to come to the same place because of the example he set. So he's tormented by that. And then he cries out to Abraham and says, send someone, send someone to tell them. But Abraham says, they have, they have the prophets and they have God's word, the same as we all have. And he says, that is enough. That's enough. Then they know. They know. And that's when it comes down to. It's not, a, it's not a head issue. It's not a knowledge issue. Because everyone knows. The fool says in his heart there is no God. Ah, big mob, you're fond of a sunset photo. If only if someone looks at that and says, in their, can you really say in your heart, that's just a coincidence. That's that beautiful thing that wasn't created. No, you, you know God exists. Um, and the problem comes to it that it's not a head issue, it's a heart issue. That's what it came down to. That the rich, when Abraham says here, it's like they, they know, they just don't care. And, that, and that's the truth, and that's the truth of the issue. So what, what does all this mean? Um, and what can we take away from it? Um, it's a difficult one. The whole point of what I want to share with you today is that we can't ignore the certain realities. Now, God is, the key takeaways are that God is great and glorious and holy. And because of that, there has to be a hell because he can't be in the, the presence. We can't be in the presence of him if he's God, if he's holy. So that's why hell, hell is a quarantine in a sense where things that cannot coexist with God have to go. And that's, that's just because of his nature and of, because of his character. But it also shows us the horrible nature of sin. That we, don't, that we can't really realize, but for God, it's so stark because it's so contrary to his essence. Um, but as C.S. Lewis once said, in the end, we either say to God, thy will be done, or he will say to us, your will will be done. You didn't want me in life. Well, you've made your own choice, okay? Um, and that's, I don't want to see anyone in here. I would love to see all of you in paradise. But this is a, a warning that without God, that is our destination. And, but I, I said I was going to end on a good note. Um, but God. But God. So Ephesians 2 uh, verses 4. It says, 
But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love from which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And um, if you look at the whole Bible from start to finish, it's a rescue story. The fall of man, uh, Adam's original sin, meant that all of us, mankind, had sin in our hearts and were going to hell. But through what God done by going through the, choosing the house of Israel, going through that seed of Adam and then the promise of Jesus, that whole story traces to a rescue mission, to a lifeboat, one could say, from which Jesus would come and make that ultimate sacrifice, to pay the price, the doctrine of substitution, that everything we've done, all the wrongs, all the hurts on one hand, and you have Jesus on the other hand, and Jesus is worth more than all of them combined. How great is that? And he took all that on himself. There was no other way for us to overcome the separation with God that because of what we've we done, the choices we make, there was no other way, but God in his glory stepped down from heaven and humbled himself to die on a cross so that each one of us who has a desire to know him, to choose him, can be rescued from that judgment, that judgment that we all deserve. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I would just pray if you have someone in here who doesn't know the Lord and wants to know him and to accept that free gift and to be with him in heaven for eternity, don't leave here without, without speaking to me. I'll be, I'll be up here. Um, and it says, whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believes in their heart that he rose from the dead, they will be saved. But you need to step out in that. So please, come, come and speak to one of us and we'll guide you through that. Now it's not, yes, there's a process that we're gonna go through. It's discipleship. It's a changed repentance. Um, but it's a, it's a wonderful journey and we can have, with that you can have the confidence that you've got an eternal home with the Lord. So, I hope I ended with some good news there, okay? It is good news because God loves you so much that he was willing to do that. But at the same time, God is true to his own character, okay? So there is a hell and we have to recognize that. But God is so good and so gracious that he was willing to humble himself so that none of us have to go there if we just choose him. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.